The following program is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today. It is being shoved into the minds of every public school student in America. It's being sold as an absolute fact by its evangelists. But when you take a peek behind the curtain, evolution is just junk science. The Apostle Paul warned us 2,000 years ago to watch out for people pushing science falsely so-called. And he did that for a very good reason. The junk science of evolution has led to absolutely devastating consequences. Hey, if you're new to the Creation Today show, welcome. My name is Eric Hoven. Those of you joining me on Facebook or YouTube or on our podcast or television program, we want to say thank you for peeking into the Creation Today community for this conversation. We are a group of people that are just being discipled week by week with conversations so that we can be all that God has called us to be. If you ever want to join our little community, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us. Hey, to all my partners on here, welcome, guys. I'm really excited uh, about the conversation I'm going to have today with my guest. My guest today is a graduate from Princeton University and for 26 years served as the VP of Finance at J.P. Morgan Chase in Manhattan. After retiring, he began a second career as a counselor. Uh, the I believe it's the Browery Mission. It's also there in Manhattan. And now, after receiving his master's in Christian apologetics, he's in his third career doing biblical apologetics and running his website. It's where he posts daily devotionals of hope and truth to encourage the Christian and challenge the skeptic on why we should be able to trust the Bible. Not only why it should be trusted, but really why it should be read on a daily basis. He's the author of a couple different books, including The Challenge and Children of the Womb, All Are Precious in God's Sight. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Curtis Blattman. Mr. Blattman, welcome to the Creation Today Show. Great to be here. I have enjoyed your writings. I have been thankful for the opportunity to publish some of your writings on the Creation Today website, and I'm excited to talk to you today about a topic that you've done a lot of research on, and that's why, why is evolution junk? I'm calling it junk science. Why does it really not fit? So I'm looking forward to getting into the conversation today. What made you want to get into apologetics and into the whole creation-evolution debate? Well, when I went to Princeton, I believed in evolution. If you asked me to defend my position, I couldn't. The reason that I believed was that all my peers did, so I followed the crowd. As I became a Christian, I started to realize that following the crowd could be very dangerous. And I always had an interest in how did we get here? And as I started to realize as a young Christian that the Bible was God's word, and if it said something, it meant we should believe it. And it talked about the creation of the earth, that we were created in God's image. And I started to read about creation. And the more I read, the more amazed I was how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. And that evolution is not only junk science, but it is a bankrupt worldview 
and it's having devastating effects on our young people as well as all the people. Um, and, and, it, and I'm hoping to get into some of that by the end of the program. Your book, The Challenge, Dare to Weigh the Evidence, you, you actually did basically what you're saying. You ended up writing about your journey of weighing all this evidence out, right? Yeah, I basically believe that you can't call yourself a well-read, well-rounded individual without reading the Bible. I agree we should know things about Darwin and Confucius and Marx and Freud, but if you don't know anything about the Bible, you're not well-read. Wow. And what I tried to do in the book is not to get you to believe the Bible, but to read it, which is a slight difference than most apologists. They want you to believe it. I believe if you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit can do an excellent job in bringing you to the Savior. Amen to that. Wow. How many times do we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit? And it's like, I, I after what, 25, 26 years now, I'm going, I can't convert anybody all I can do is beg God to do that. So I am, I'm with you there. Uh, read, read the word. Well, let's jump into the conversation. I'm excited about this because I, I have for years been frustrated by the teaching of evolution and why people believe it. Um, I just rewatched a, uh, a video that uh, Richard Dawkins had put out years ago on the evolution of the human eye. And he says, oh, look, and it's just, it's so fascinating to watch this. He's like, Look, if you had some light-sensitive cells right here, there were some cells on the... Imagine an organism that had these light-sensitive cells in, and imagine that there, there began to be a depression. And then and then imagine that, that that depression got smaller, and now you could tell where light's coming from. And imagine... And I'm just going, wow, I can't believe... I mean, you, you were born blind in one eye. You have everything there, and it's still... The, the, the concept that, that I watched people promote and believe in that all this happened by chance seems so absurd. What we see is things not working, things going wrong. We don't see things evolving. So can you jump into, is 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 evolution really junk science? Like what is evolution and kind of walk us through some of the, the why should people really question like you did the evolution worldview? Well, evolution, I believe, and that's a well apropos title, is junk science. Right. Science is experimental science. It's something that we can have observable, repeatable experimentations to discern hypotheses and test them. When it comes to evolution, it's what we call historical science. It can't be reproduced because origins, by their definition, can't be. Unless you were there, you could know what happened. So it's not science. It is historical science, which is not what we normally consider science. Now, evolution, it's not hard to define. It's just hard to believe. <laughs> they want you to believe that nobody times nothing equals everything. Wow. That is the mantra of evolution. There was nobody there. There was nothing there, but somehow... After 4 billion years, we have everything. That takes a lot more faith to believe than what we read in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So why do people have a hard time? Why, why would, like, that makes so much sense to me. And now that makes so much sense to you. Why does that not make sense to some people? 
Well, I think evolution is a religion, if I huh. could call it that. Yeah. And people don't want the truth. They say they do, but their actions clearly show that they don't. There right. are a lot of reasons why people want to believe in evolution. If you believe in evolution, then you can show there's no God. And if there's no God, then you're not accountable to a holy God, and you can do whatever you want and think you're okay. Reality is, on Judgment Day, you'll probably be brutally awakened, but people think that way. People want to be able to run their lives on their own, and they really don't want God to get involved. This is especially prevalent in the sexual area. People want to do whatever they want, and they think when we say that the only place for sex is in the sanctity of the marriage bed would be prudish, but God, if his word says it, that ends the discussion. But people still try to get by without God. And evolution gives them a convenient out. You guys are going to want to go read Mr. Blattman's blogs at BibleApologetics.org. So once evolution is out, okay, how, how, how did evolution become popular? What happened there? Well, Charles Darwin in 1859 wrote his seminal book on the origin of species. And he came up with this clever idea that somehow this idea, I call it a speculation, that all of life came about by random natural processes from a single universal common ancestor. And that complexity came about by random processes and what he called natural selection. And natural selection basically believes that somehow small positive mutations over vast periods of time became advantageous to an organism and it would adopt that and allow it to adapt better to its environment. And when four billion years go by, voila, humanity is here. That takes a lot of faith. Sure. Because if there's nothing to start with, and that's where evolution runs into its first roadblock, it has no way of figuring out how the original inanimate matter came about that it posited that it would then become alive and then the progression would start. That is a serious roadblock. I have met a lot of people when I'm debating that are evolutionists that would say, listen, evolution doesn't deal with the origin of life. That's, that's, you know, that's abiogenesis. That's not the field of evolution. And so they get frustrated, but I'm going, well, well, you, you've got to get life to start somehow. And so you have to believe in abiogenesis at some point. You have to believe life came from non-life or somebody created it. I mean, are there any other choices out there? Is there any other option that we could believe in? There are really only two options. That's God or evolution. And if you hitch your wagon to evolution, it comes with an avalanche of negativity, an avalanche of negative problems. And to me, evolution is one of the most morbid concepts of all. The Bible says that we are infinite value. We are masterpieces of his creative genius. We are special beyond imagination. He calls us his treasured possession. If you believe 
been evolution. You came from the goo to the zoo to you. That's it. Not very appealing. That's uh, the Bible way of saying it. Something people are not interested in because it puts God on the throne and not you. And man has to be on the throne. And unless God knocks him off that throne, he's going to continue to believe in this nonsense called Darwinian evolution. So, why do so many scientists today? Why do so many of them believe it? What's what's their deal? Well, I think part of it is this concept of naturalism. They don't believe in the supernatural. Earth. And by definition, this universe came about by a supernatural act of God. He spoke the word and brought the universe into existence. But they fail to realize, I believe, Eric, evolution also needs supernatural <laughs> begin. If there was nothing there, how could nothing become something and something become everything? There had to be some supernatural, whatever it would be, event. So both believe in a supernatural. We just believe there's a God called Jesus who created everything. They choose to just think something happened, some big bang, some four, however many, 14.5 billion years ago. But some of the miraculous event had to happen for things to come about from nothing. So is, has it always been this way? Have, have scientists always kind of followed a naturalistic path? No. In fact, when I wrote the challenge back in 1990, I went to Princeton University and spoke on campus on my book. And one of the students came up to me after I shared my testimony because I was once an atheist. That's a whole story for another time. <laughs> but what happened was he came up to me after I shared how I was an atheist and I never read the Bible at Princeton. He said, what could someone have said to you back then that made you consider reading the Bible? And I gave him a quote from the back cover of my book, We Account the Scriptures of God to be the most sublime in philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever. I said, do you know who said that? He said, no. I said, Isaac Newton. Wow. I said, if someone would have told me Isaac Newton said that, I'd know what I would have said back when I went to Princeton in the 70s. You're a liar. I said, I know who <laughs> Isaac Newton was. And my belief system back then was you couldn't be a scientist and believe the Bible. They were mutually exclusive. About six months later, Eric, I had the privilege of sharing an apologetics message at a church in Long Island, New York. I shared that story, and then I began to share a few more interesting things about scientists. I shared that Robert Boyle, who was the founding father of modern chemistry, used a large amount of his own personal wealth for Bible translation. Wow. Now, if you would have told me that Isaac Newton and Robert Boyle had strong statements about the Bible, because I knew Robert Boyle and Isaac Newton was, I would have been a little uncomfortable. Then if you would have told me that Lord Kelvin, who helped lay the first transatlantic cable, <laughs> he helped formulate mathematical terms, the first and second laws of thermodynamics, and was elected at age 22 to the youngest professor ever at Glasgow University. It was his habit to open every one of his lectures in prayer. You really <laughs> would have made me uncomfortable. 
And then if you would have told me that Samuel Morse, who invented the telegraph in 1844, used as a message for his first communication, a quote from Numbers 2323, what has God wrought? You would have slowly began to destroy my whole belief system that you couldn't be a scientist and believe the Bible. I threw one more in for good measure. I said, Johann Kepler, the founding father of modern astronomy, when he was searching the far reaches of the galaxy, they asked him what he was doing. He said, quote, I'm merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Well, you would have destroyed my whole belief system. I'm not saying back then I would have read the Bible, but you would have created such dissonance in my mind. I would have had to check this out. You blew my whole belief system away. But you see, when I went to Princeton, I didn't know any of this. I went on my own very strange road thinking that my great, 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 et cetera, grandparents with a chance collision of random molecules that over vast eons of time became more complex, et cetera, et cetera. But thankfully, one day the Lord opened my eyes. He showed me I was a sinner in need of a savior. And back on October 12th, 1981, I invited him into my life. 41 years later, more excited than ever telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's, uh, that, that, I, I, that right there is what people need to understand. I mean, that is beautiful. For those, though, that are like you that say, I don't know that I would accept the Bible after hearing what you just said, can we go into why why are we calling evolution junk science? Why are we calling it a, a bankrupt worldview? Well, basically, we shared at the beginning, nothing, nobody times nothing equals everything. Science wants facts. Evolution has no facts. It's a theory that was cleverly disguised as the way things had to be but it was not always believed. And many people today realize that science needs a little more than nobody times nothing equals everything. You weren't there four and a half billion years old. You want me to believe that four and a half billion years ago in some primordial soup, some gaseous liquid, a spark ignited, some molecules coalesced, and a simple amino acid was formed. Well, amino acids are not simple. They're extremely complex. And to think that amino acids could then morph into protein molecules, which are much more complex than amino acids. And to think that protein molecules over vast eons of time could then become a simple single cell organism, such as an amoeba. This is impossible to fathom. We're not talking about mutations causing positive changes. We're talking about mutations causing astronomical changes. Now, what is a mutation, you might ask? Well, a mutation is a coding error in the DNA multiplication or replication process. And almost always, mutations are negative. They don't change things for the better, they change things for the worse. My problem with evolution is four and a half billion years is much too short to have the amount of positive mutations and increases of knowledge that would have to become you, 
30 trillion cells from a single cell, which is exactly how you started. You started as a fertilized egg cell, one cell. You talk about the eye. How did that one cell have knowledge to know when to become two cells, four cells, clusters of cells, to form the tiny buds that would become your fingers, your arms, then to begin to form the organs? There was no eye in that original single cell, but it had to be pre-programmed to have the knowledge that at a future point in time, certain unknown substances, the nutrients for the mother, were going to come into its sphere of influence. It had to have the knowledge how to break them down, strip apart what it needed, take apart everything, and begin to reformat it. And nine months later, not only did an eye form, but ear form, hundreds of different types of cells form, cell differentiation. This is mind-blowing. And to think blind chance could have formed you, that original single cell had all that knowledge to perform all these amazingly complex biochemical processes. And the only way that cell could know, as I've shared earlier, that in a future point in time, certain unknown substances, the nutrients from the mother, were coming into its sphere of influence if it had foreknowledge. And the only way it could have foreknowledge is if there's a God. Wow. So you have to start with God. If you don't do that and you don't have foreknowledge and you just give credit, evolution ends up being your God. Evolution ends up being the supreme creator idea. Or I guess, to put it negatively, the only way evolution could occur is if it happens in your imagination. Is that is that what you're telling That's me? That's true. You need a vivid imagination to come up with evolution. Wow. So if evolution is not science, if it's a bankrupt worldview, if it if it believes that it would take random chance and create everything. You said, by the way, you mentioned, this is interesting to me, that even with four and a half billion years since Earth formed, there's still not enough time for evolution to happen. Why do you say that? What's the, what's the thought process on that? Well, the idea that you start with nothing and then something comes into existence is impossible to believe but if we give that somehow something did come into existence as i've shared the amino acids and the protein molecules are so complex that the idea that blind random chance could create this magnificently functioning protein molecule defies even the most vivid science fiction writer I just recently wrote a, a blog post on my website called You Are a Masterpiece. Man. And in it, I shared a little about biology and the human eye. And when you start to think how an eye could form when there was no eye at all in that original single cell, people go to school for four to six years and then go to residency just to learn a tiny bit about the human body, say the human eye. But yet, that original single cell, not too bright, or maybe it is bright, knew all about the eye because it created the eye. It created it out of nothing, basically. There was nothing in the cell that said eye. 
But it made that arm, which is so complex, man has never been able to duplicate the amazing ability that a human eye has. And as far as Dawkins with his foolishness that some light-sensitive spot would become an eye, that is the thing that fairy tales have made of. So true. And have you ever heard of the, uh, I believe it's called the Heidelberg or Heidelman's Dilemma. Um, it was an interesting thought process. It's been, I, apparently people have known about it for a long time, scientists have. And they just said, what, what if you did have positive mutations? And now we don't see that. What we see is lots and lots of negative mutations. What if you had positive ones and you got a positive mutation every single generation and you let's just start with ape-like creatures and get to human beings how many genetic mutational changes in the positive direction do we need to make in order to go from an ape-like creature to a human being and he gave the number and i forget it's you know how many billions of changes that has to be genetically to go from an ape to a human and then he said okay if you have one every generation let's make the generations 10 years. So every 10 years, you've got the next generation. Okay, let's make it really short. Even with that, with the billions of changes times 10 years if per generation, you still don't have enough time to get all the positive mutations. Even if you had positive mutations, even if there was one every generation and nothing negative, you still don't have enough time in the evolution worldview to go any kind of evolution uh, to solve it. And that's very true. You know, time is the hero of evolution, but in my opinion, time is no hero at all. I'd like to do a brief thought experiment. Okay. Take an iPhone. I have an iPhone. If you take the iPhone and you can take it apart into all of its components and put it in a box, how long will you have to shake that box till you become an iPhone? I tell people, you can shake that box forever. It's never going to become an iPhone. So I said, why don't we help our evolutionist friend along? You know, the parts are all there in that box to form an iPhone. In real evolution, you don't have any parts. You have to rely on all of these a million, zillion mutations, et cetera, to even get the parts. I'm giving you evolutionists a big advantage. You have all the parts there, but yet you still can't shake that box and become an iPhone. So I said, let's give him some more help. We'll put the instruction manual in the box and how to <laughs> assemble it all. Shake the box up. How long is it going to take you? It's still never going to become an iPhone. I said, let's give him some more advantages. We'll take the brightest scientists in the world, the Apple engineers, put them in a room with all the parts. The only thing is they have no tools. How <laughs> long will it take them to be, bring an iPhone into existence? You'll never bring an iPhone into existence. So my friends, I believe that an iPhone is like a child's play compared to a human body. So infinitely inferior to the complexity of a human being. If an iPhone can't become an iPhone and we just gave the evolutionists a lot of help to think a human being could come about by blind random chance from nothing, it takes a lot of faith. And I just don't have that type of faith. That is so true, let alone the software that would need to go on the iPhone to actually make it do something. And the, it just, 
when you compare like you just did, it makes so much sense. Evolution cannot, it did not happen. It's being taught today as science, and it is junk science. It doesn't work. Ah, so, so what do you think? What, what, where does it go when people believe in evolution? Like what, what do people end up implying? Where, where, where does, where does this take us? What, what are the problems? What road does this lead us down? It leads us down a very dangerous road. I like to tell people that evolution's twin sister is atheism. But, uh, now there are some people even Christians that believe that there is a God, but he used evolution to bring about humanity. I have a problem with that. It's called theistic evolution. And to me, theistic evolution is the worst possible idea because what it means is God needed trial and error to get it right. Boy. I, God, said I'm created in his image. He didn't need trial and error. Evolution relies on millions of years of struggle and death. Death is the big ally of evolution, and God does not use death to create beauty. That's not the God we serve. It's much easier to just sit back and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. People say, well, who created God? I say, well, God always existed. That's outside my pay grade. I can't figure that one out. I just know he always existed, and I accept that as a fact. And so, first of all, evolution leads to atheism. And atheism is a dangerous, dangerous belief system. It's probably been responsible in the 20th century for a hundred million deaths between Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong. They all believed in evolution and atheism. Adolf Hitler, in fact, said that the Germans were an Aryan race. They were the superior race. He believed in survival of the fittest, one of the planks of evolution. And he believed that gave him the justification to exterminate six million Jews wow. and another four million ethnic people. And that's the danger. It leads to catastrophic dangers, let alone the worst thing is it lets someone think that they're okay, not realizing how dangerous it is. Because if you've not made your peace with God, you die, you have to face a holy God. And unfortunately, if your sins haven't been forgiven by Jesus, you have to pay your own penalty for those sins which is eternal separation from God and the literal hell. That's the danger of evolution. It is severe, and evolutionist, by definition, doesn't know where he came from. He doesn't know why he's here, and he certainly doesn't know where he's going when he dies. His belief is he came from nothing, he goes back to nothing, and in between these two states of nothingness, he has to cram all the meaning he can into life. That is a morbid belief system. Wow. Hey, uh, Facebook and YouTube, those of you joining me on the television show and podcast, I have to let you guys go now. Uh, I, I would love for you to read Mr. Blattman's writings at biblical, or excuse me, bibleapologetics.org. Uh, and more than that, I want you to share this truth with others. 
Uh, it is, it is, it is astounding how many people believe in the junk science of evolution when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't fit reality. Uh, I want to go on and, and talk with our members, Mr. Blackman, about uh, several thoughts that I've got on this and and why it's so important, because this does lead to something very dangerous. Before I let you guys go on social media, imagine somebody in leadership, maybe in world leadership, maybe they're in charge of an entire country, maybe they have a vast amount of wealth and they're just one of the most wealthy people in the world, and they really believed in an evolution worldview that there is no right, there's no ultimate wrong, survival of the fittest, there's no purpose before, no purpose after, do whatever you want here. How would you behave? I mean, if you believed that the earth was overpopulated and you were one of the most powerful or you were the richest person in the world, what would you do? See, your beliefs have consequences. And I'm telling you, the world today is, is experiencing and it will experience much more of the consequences of believing in an evolution worldview as we move forward. Oh, the implications really are huge. Uh, please check out BibleApologetics.org to read Mr. Blattman's writings there. You you post every day, don't you? That's what you've been doing? I've been posting since I started in June of 2020, and I'm almost up to 900 devotions. I haven't missed a day yet. I can't. Being retired that, gives me the ability to do that. Otherwise, I don't think with a full-time job I could do that. That is amazing. Well, what a what a blessing and what a resource for people to get our daily devotional uh, where you talk about quite a variety of things, but apologetics is certainly uh, one of the main focuses, and I love that. Well, God bless, guys. Can't wait to see you next week. Uh, we're here weekly at 12 noon. Uh, catch us at creationtoday.org and come on over if you want to join the rest of the conversation and be a partner with us. Thank you for joining us for this engaging conversation. To view this and many more conversations in their entirety, we invite you to partner with us at creationtoday.org partner.